Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Addicted to Crime podcast. I'm your host, Shelby. I know I'm popping into your feed with a bonus episode, and I know it's off my usual day, but I wanted to give you an extra one because it is our one-year anniversary this week, as well as I wanted to start a new bonus episode once a month for the public feed. It's a special series that was suggested by a listener. Special thank you, Chrissy McRae. We're going to be doing a TBT Throwback Thursday episode once a month. And on these episodes, we are going to go way back in history to talk about some sinister characters. Today's sinister throwback character is the Countess herself, Elizabeth Bathory. A female Dracula is called by some or the Bloody Countess. Please, if you have any case suggestions for who you'd like me to cover on these Throwback Thursday episodes or any case suggestions at all, send them to my email at IamAddictedToCrime at gmail.com. A little bit of content warning for you. This episode is gnarly. I know that I am a true crime podcast and, you know, you get what you come for. But Elizabeth Bathory is the most notorious female serial killer and she gets off on torture. That's her thing. So if that's not something you want to vibe with this time, That's fine. I'll see you next time. Go ahead and skip this episode. Also, I'm going to preface this episode right away by saying, you guys, don't hate on me too much for my pronunciation. I'm not Hungarian, but I did try my best to look up some certain words, certain phrases, and I tried to listen to some more challenging names. So bear with me. Let's dive into the case. going to be talking about, like I said, Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Now, the English pronunciation of her name is Elizabeth Bathory, but her Hungarian name is Elsbeth Bautry. But for the sake of this episode, I'm going to use the English translation of Elizabeth, and then I will say Elizabeth Bautry. So that is what I'm going to be using for this episode. Now, Elizabeth was born on August 7th, 1560, in the country of Hungary in the town of Nierbator. I have a little history to share with you about the town of Nierbator that she grew up in. Nierbator is located in the North Plain region of Eastern Hungary. The name Nierbator comes from an old Turkish word meaning batir, or the Mongolian word bator, which means good hero. The land was first settled in 1279, and at that time, the Bautry's ancestors, the Gutkalad clan, owned the land. The Bautry family remained in control of the land until the death of Gabriel Bautry, who was the prince of Transylvania in 1613. The entire time the Bautry family was in charge, the town of Nierbator was the center of everything. Elizabeth was born in 1560, but in history, only a few years before that, in 1549, King Ferdinand I and Isabella returned Transylvania to the Kingdom of Hungary. And ever since then, there has been a power struggle over who the town of Nierbator belonged to, since residents of the town only wanted to recognize the ruling prince of Transylvania over the ruler of the Kingdom of Hungary. 
Now, Elizabeth was born after Transylvania was returned to Hungary, and it wouldn't have the rights returned until way into the future in 1973. The Bowtree family was buried in a crypt on the family land and there and still are a very prominent popular family in that area but at the end of Elizabeth's reign of absolute terror that we're going to learn about soon the popularity definitely decreased from before that. Elizabeth was born in a noble family and she absolutely loved her life as a noble woman. She grew up in a castle the family castle of the Exed castle. Now, her father was Baron George VI, Bowtree of the Exed branch of the family. Baron George's brother, Andrew Bonaventura Bowtree, was a vivode of Transylvania. And what that means, to put it simply, is a vivode is a very high-ranking official in Transylvania. It's just like a very important person. Again, that word is like a vivode, like a vivode, vivode. I'm not sure which way you pronounce it. Elizabeth's dad also holds a very high political and financial power during this time as well. Elizabeth's mom was Baroness Anna Bowtree, and Anna's dad, Stephen Bowtree of Salmnio, was another vivode or person of power in Transylvania, but he was the vivode in the Salmnio branch. A vivode, like I said, highest ranking official, so just think very important, very influential people in history. There were four children in the family, Esteban, Clara, Sophia, and Elizabeth. We don't know much else about her siblings. We don't really know anything else. Growing up, um, Elizabeth acted like a tomboy. She would run around and play games with her brothers and friends and act rambunctious and normal today. But back then, you know, it was a really big deal. While she dressed like a boy and liked to play rough and tumble games for relaxation, on the other hand, sometimes she would be lavished in her gold and jewels and wear huge fancy ball gowns. You know, so a very well-rounded person. She loved being a tomboy one minute, and then she loved dressing up as a noblewoman the next. Elizabeth had other famous and influential family members, mainly through her mother's side, such as the Hungarian noble Stephen Bowtree, he was the king of Poland, and also the prince of Transylvania, just to name a few. Elizabeth's brother, Stephen Bowtree, lots of Stevens in her family, don't get confused, also served as a judge royal or what we would think of as a chief justice of Hungary. I know I just threw like a lot of history and a lot of names, probably a lot of mispronounced names at you. Just keep in mind, as we go through this episode, keep in mind that Elizabeth was born in extreme wealth, extreme power, and her family had a lot of influence. As a child, Elizabeth had very poor health. Around the ages of four or five years old, she began suffering from multiple seizures thought to have been caused by epilepsy. She suffered these from that age well on into her adult years. Of course, way, way back then, they didn't really know what epilepsy was first off. They didn't know how to treat it. And they referred to her condition as a falling sickness, mainly because the word epilepsy hadn't been used yet. The causes of this can range from a brain injury. uh, It could cause stroke, brain tumor. It could cause a birth defect, uh brain function and it also can stem from an unknown origin as well. What an epilepsy is is quote excessive and abnormal neuronal activity in the cortex in the brain end quote. Nowadays we have treatment for epilepsy including phenobarbital which was developed in 1912 and phenytoin which was developed in 1938 
and that's just two of the many, many drugs used to affect different types of seizures. And now we have medications of, the, you know, that, we, that could be used for the varying seizures that happen. But when she was growing up, she wasn't treated for this or else wasn't treated well because, you know, just because of the times. They didn't really know much about it. They didn't know what they were struggling with. They didn't know really much about it at all. The treatment she did receive included rubbing blood of someone who didn't suffer with this disease on the lips of someone who did suffer with this disease. So she would have someone else's blood rubbed on her lips. Now, as we're looking back at what might have caused the epileptic episodes for Elizabeth specifically, we must look at consanguinity or the act of marrying a relative, also known as inbreeding, as a possible cause of the epilepsy. It was the way of the time back then, a way to keep the royal bloodline pure. And breeding between royals had been going on for centuries before this, but it hadn't been going on without its fair share of problems. And breeding can cause diseases and deformities as seen through history. So maybe the epilepsy could be because of that, because of the inbreeding that she had been subjected to. It certainly wouldn't be unheard of. Mental health issues also seemed to run in her family, and that is, again, likely due to her continue, the continuous inbreeding of the family, or else the inbreeding didn't help the mental health issues, let's say that. In addition to her epilepsy and her migraines, she had instances of intense rage at times. Little things would set her off, she would go on a tirade, and I'm sure you're thinking, yeah, I know all about that, you know, I have a toddler, or I, I know a toddler, I have a toddler in my life, and I see how it goes on these just anger rages. Well, although that example is, I'm sure, close, these rages would leave her almost like seeing red, smoking out the ears, inconsolable, like that type of rage. This began when she was quite young and continued well into her adult years. Now we have to talk about the times a little more. Elizabeth was exposed to violence at a very young age. The time she was born in, public punishment was very common and in one word, gruesome. Now here's a story for you. When Elizabeth was still a young girl, she witnessed the public punishment of a man who was accused of selling his child to the Turks. Now for punishment for this, the man was, trigger warning, this is nasty, sewed alive into the belly of a dying horse. Yes, you heard me. The man was sewed alive into the belly of a dying horse. Isn't that just like messed up and intense in so many ways? Like, I don't even know how to describe that sentence that just came out of my mouth. Elizabeth witnessed this, and she not only witnessed this, but she got amusement out of it. When the man was struggling to free himself from the horse's stomach, Elizabeth was giggling and laughing. She didn't find it disgusting and horrible and just shocking, but funny. Now, hindsight being 2020, this early behavior and insensitivity will make her other actions make more sense. At age 11, Elizabeth was promised to or engaged to 15-year-old Count Ferenc Nadasti. Now, it was a political, like, political thing. It was, it was necessary to pair the two families. It was very common back then. I know it's very upsetting. She's 11 and he's 15. She was from a very wealthy and sought-after prominent family, and Ferenc was too. He was the son of the then Palatine of Hungary. 
Now, this marriage between Ferenc and Elizabeth would seal the deal between the two families. It was customary at the time for the betrothed girl to move in with the man and his family during the often long engagement. So Elizabeth did this, and she moved into the Nadasdi estate of Savar. Ferenc's father, Thomas Nadasdi, had already died at this time, and Ferenc's mother, Orsolia, died around the time Elizabeth came to live in the family estate. So taking care of Ferenc and Elizabeth fell to the family retainer and castle staff. It was during the time that Elizabeth was living at the Nadasdi estate and being watched for and cared for by the retainers that she seemed to meet someone. Now this is where details get a little sketchy. There are two counts of this rumor of what happens. First, first account. We know she met a boy. This is true for both accounts. His name is Ladislav Bendy, and that is confirmed by records. He did live in that village. He was a real person. Now, Ladislav was either a minor noble or else a servant at the Nadadsti family estate. What he did wasn't confirmed, again, just his name, just his existence. I want to make that clear. Now, this first account is that Elizabeth and Ladislav had a fling together, and through that fling, she became pregnant. The second account that comes up is more horrifying, and that is that Ladislav Bendy took advantage of Elizabeth and raped her, resulting in pregnancy. Now, we aren't sure which account is true, but out of it, a baby did come, whom she named Anastasia, and Anastasia was sent to be raised in Transylvania in secret and out of the public eye. Everything was covered up due to Elizabeth and Ferenc's wealth and status, and again, this has never been proven, but if it did happen... It would make sense that the Bowtree family and the Nadadzi family would want it quiet and kind of hush-hush because they were a very prominent family and this would be like tabloid news for back then. This news itself didn't surface to the public until after Elizabeth's death, so a while ago. There are 37-year-old documents that state from the Countess herself that she was drugged and raped. Now, these documents were signed by Elizabeth in front of church officials. So, in my opinion, that's kind of the one that I lean more towards. However, you have to remember, she's trying to save face, even maybe at death. She wants to, um, doesn't want to bring maybe any dishonor, thinking she'd bring dishonor to her family name. So, maybe she would say that over she just had a fling with a servant boy. Whichever case scenario happened, like I said, we know a lot of slap was there and there was a child. It is said that when Ferenc found out about this, that he had Ladislav castrated and torn apart by dogs. Now, real quick, I just want to ask you, is this entire story sounding very Game of Thronesy? <laughs> the entire time I'd been researching this and writing my notes for this, I kept getting reminded of Game of Thrones. So I did some Googling and I found a Reddit thread where it states that George R. R. Martin used... Elizabeth Bowtree as a blueprint for the Game of Thrones character Melisandre. Now, Melisandre is the Red Priestess who specialized and believed in blood magic and used blood to summon things and keep her young. Meanwhile, and we're going to get to it soon, Elizabeth had a special fascination with blood as well and even believed that the blood of younger women could help her retain her own youth. That little fact has nothing to do overall with the case, you know, the Melisandre and Bowtree connection, but I just thought it was a fun fact and I wanted to mention it in this episode. Whatever happened during this encounter between Ladislav and Elizabeth, if anything happened at all, it didn't stop the wedding between Ferenc and Elizabeth from happening. If anything, it expedited the wedding. They had to get married now. When Elizabeth turned 15, her and 19-year-old Ferenc got married. It was a huge wedding, very lavish affair, and a huge 
feast was prepared and many, many, many guests. Over 4,500 people attended their wedding. Elizabeth never took Ferenc's family name and instead always referred to herself as Countess Bowtry. According to an article I read, Ferenc actually took her family name of Bowtry instead. Now, the Bowtry name had more influence. Uh, it was more prominent than the Nadadsdy family name. And Ferenc gave her as a gift his family home, the castle of Sechte. And that is where the two of them lived along with some of Ferenc's family. This castle was deep in the Carpathian Mountains, now known as Easter Slovakia. The castle was set on top of a hill, and the castle of Sejetschde overlooked the village of Sejetschde below. Elizabeth was wealthy. She was well-known, but she was also a genius. At the time she was living, it was very uncommon for women to read and write and for women to speak in other languages, and she could do all of that. Elizabeth loved to read and would often write other nobles, asking them to borrow books. She was very inquisitive. She loved knowledge. She also loved mathematics and was fluent in Latin, Greek, and German, in addition to her native tongue of Hungarian. She also could write in Latin and German as well, which is awesome. According to an article by the History Collection, some of her favorite subjects were biology, anatomy, botany, and she studied religions and the occult. In her relationship with Ferenc, he had to be away a lot. The country of Hungary was a war zone at the time, and the battle that was going on was called the Long War, and Ferenc was the commander, the chief commander actually, of the Hungarian army. So he had to go and fight the Ottoman Empire, and he was called away often. The Long War, as a little side note, ended up lasting 13 years. Ferenc would only see Elizabeth at holidays, and their visits together would be brief. They didn't have any children until they had been married 10 years. After they were married 10 years, Elizabeth gave birth to the couple's first child, a girl named Anna. They would go on to have more children, four surviving, and two who died in infancy. Orsalia, named of course after Ferenc's mother, Catalin, Andreas and Paul, those were the children that survived. Looking at uh, Elizabeth's husband, Ferenc, for a minute, Ferenc was a very violent and sadistic person in the army. He had a reputation. He was known throughout the army for his cruelty, and he would ruthlessly torture his Turkish prisoners. One instance in history, even, it's said that he decapitated his prisoners and then kicked the heads around and threw the heads around like a sick game of ball. It's kind of weird that this is happening. And the case I covered right before this, Carl Drew is said to have kicked around the head of Karen Marsden like a soccer ball. So it's just kind of really deja vu to me that uh, Ferenc in this case did that as well. It's so, so nuts. And looking at Ferenc and Elizabeth together, it's always fascinating and horrifying to me when I realize that two very sick, very twisted individuals find each other and feed off of each other. There are many couple killers in the true crime world, like, you know, Paul Bernardo, Carla Homolka, Dave and Catherine Burney, Ian Brady, and Myra Henley, and that's just a few of the more popular ones. There are countless, countless others. But you have to ask yourself, how do two people find each other and share their twisted ideas with each other and the others like, okay, yeah, sure, I like that. Let's try it. Or let's do this quote-unquote better. I have a ways to do this. That's just beyond me. It's beyond my realm of thinking and I just can't really even, I can't even imagine that. Ferenc had like heavy air quotes a thing for torture 
like Elizabeth did. Now, when Ferenc was gone, Elizabeth would take care of the family estate. Everywhere she went, she demanded respect. The estate was huge, thousands of acres, and it was a lot to manage, but Elizabeth wasn't missing anything. Again, I'm calling this article out because it was helpful in my research, and I'll try to remember to link it in the show notes if you want to go read it in more depth, but the History Collection article mentioned that there was an instance where a noble invaded some of Elizabeth's land and started occupying it. Now, the countess wrote him a letter, and in the letter she said, quote, So, my good sir, you have done this thing. You have occupied my small possessions because you are poor. But I do not think that we will leave you to enjoy them in peace. You will find in me a man. She's a very, very tough, don't mess with me type of woman. And that small, small part of her, like teeny tiny, tiny part, I like. Okay, don't get after me for saying I liked anything at all about Elizabeth Bowdry. That one teeny tiny thing I like about her. It was very, very uncommon for a woman to be put in charge of all she was in, and not just in charge, but just rule over this estate period while her husband was gone. Most of the time, the husband was in charge or the husband would put another man in charge. So it was very, very odd that she had this much power. And at the time, you know, torture and stuff aside, she did a good job of taking care of her lands. Also, as a high-ranking noble, Elizabeth's responsibilities also were to help the villages with medical care if needed. Now, Ferenc and Elizabeth, when they were together, they participated in some very terrible, horrible acts. Ferenc demanded constant respect from his staff. And not just respect, but he wanted to be feared. He wanted to be top dog in their eyes. When Ferenc was back at the family estate, he would do like demonstrations to incite fear and terror in his staff. Ferenc would then teach Elizabeth how to inflict the most pain and keep their victims conscious for as long as possible. And Ferenc also taught her how to revive them so they could be revived and the torture could continue. This method was putting paper soaked in oil between women's toes and light them on fire to burn the girls and startle them back awake. One instance, Ferenc took a young servant girl outside. He stripped her body naked and lathered her body in honey. He then ordered the girl to stay there, and she stayed there for the entire night and into the next day. Now remember, this is summer. It's hot. There's a lot of bugs. There's a lot of insects, and this poor girl was literally being eaten alive by the insects. At one point during this torture enacted on her both by Ferenc and Elizabeth, the girl fainted and fell to the ground in just utter exhaustion. Ferenc revived her using the oil in between the toes method so he could continue the practical demonstration that he had going on. It is thought that Ferenc taught Elizabeth how to use torture based that he had been experimenting with and learning at his time in the army. And he also taught her different methods of torture when he would be home visiting. That would be like when he would tutor her in these torture methods. Ferenc and Elizabeth also exchanged letters. And in these letters, they seemed to talk back and forth about the different torture methods they liked, the ones they used better, the ones that they tried, stuff like that. Now, I found a picture online of a depiction of Countess Bowtree in one of her hidden rooms, and I'm not going to post it because there's nudity, and I just know Facebook would take it down, 
but I'm going to describe this picture to you the best I can. In the picture, the countess is sitting in a very regal chair. She's leaning back, and in front of her, she's watching women being tortured. These women were in the nude. They're obviously in pain. There's people also in the image watching and taking pleasure in the young woman's pain also. So there's other people watching this torture. And it's a very disturbing picture. Obviously, it's not a real picture. There were no cameras back then, but an artist's depiction of it. However, it's still very upsetting, and it definitely paints a picture in your mind of the pleasure and satisfaction that Elizabeth had from hurting people. When Elizabeth was in her mid-40s, Ferenc died in 1604. History isn't sure how he died. We know that he'd been suffering from a disease for the better part of two years. This disease was unknown, and it was a disease that affected his lower limbs. Ferenc succumbed to these wounds, where he then died later in the battlefield. Elizabeth and her castle was left to be cared for by a man named Jorge Hirzo, per Ferenc's request. The land and the castle was willed to Elizabeth, but because the whole she's a woman thing, she had to have Jorge over her and in charge of the places as a whole, while she was just allowed to care for the day-to-day sort of things. Elizabeth took Ferenc's death very, very hard. She became very depressed and felt like Ferenc had abandoned her and now she was alone. She hated the thought of being alone. Elizabeth had already been introduced to violence at a young age. She had seen her husband torture. She tortured young girls with him and she got thirsty for it. She needed to inflict pain. What began as something she would, you know, randomly do with Ferenc while he was gone She would try it, and when he was here, she would try it. After he died, that torture, that desire to torture, turned into a daily occurrence after his death. She loved it. She needed more of it. Now we're going to go into some of the torture that Elizabeth inflicted on people. And if at this point you need to skip, please feel free. All of the methods of torture done by Elizabeth are very extreme and disturbing. Later, she would try to say that the reason she did these things was just as a punishment for an infraction, but nine out of ten times, that was truly not the case. She tortured these young girls because she liked it, because it gave her pleasure to cause others pain and to kill others. It made her happy. That's how messed up she was. The age range of the girls that she would torture is between like seven and 15, 16, 17, young, young girls. It made her happy to hurt them. That's how messed up she was. In addition to covering individuals with honey, making them stand outside for days, you know, like she had done with Ferenc, she had many other methods of torture that she would enact on the servant girls and young girls she'd encounter in her life. In the dead of winter, she would force girls to stand outside naked until they froze to death, or she would force them to plunge themselves into the icy water until they froze to death. According to articles released about her and testimony from others, she also would bite the flesh off of women. She would bite off their fingers, their toes. She would rip skin with her teeth. There were claims that she would then eat the flesh, but it was never substantiated. But if we know through further testimony that she's biting flesh and biting off limbs, in my opinion, it isn't that much of a stretch to think that she would also eat the flesh. She would also whip women with stinging nettles, and when she grew, that's a side note, when she grew too old to do this herself, she would have her servants, uh, older servants, do it for her while she watched. Elizabeth would prick needles under the fingernails of the women until they passed out or even died from the shock and the pain that they were under. 
Elizabeth would scourge women with hot iron pokers and even shove flaming hot iron pokers into their vaginas. In the castle, when the cold months would come in and limit her to how she could torture the girls outside, she had special rooms and dungeons installed in her castle so that she could carry out these acts with a relative privacy. There, she would have the girls' mouths sewn shut to enact her torture on them and be able to do so, you know, with them not making too much noise. Elizabeth, at one point, even included one of her daughters, Catalan, and the torturing of a young girl. We know that it was at least one time, um, maybe more, but we only know for sure of one time. And, like, did you hear what I said? Like, she made her daughter participate in this. Not just that, that's horrifying on itself, but before Catalan was set to be married in the castle, her mother had her help and watch the torture in one of the dungeons, just before the wedding. The girls were so badly beaten and tortured and burned that they later died during the wedding celebrations going on in the castle upstairs. I know, it's, it's a lot. The age range of choice for Elizabeth was young girls, like I said. She would take advantage of them, force them to comply, bend them to her will, merely because of her status. She was a very important woman and they were young girls and they were just, they were afraid of her. And they were afraid of crossing her. And what and what would she do if she was doing this to them? I'm sure these girls were thinking, what would she do to my family? It just was not a situation that you would ever want to be in. There is one recorded instance, though, where Elizabeth was cruel and tortured an older woman named Maudley. Now, Maudley used to be a, I would say, almost friend, but a close servant of Elizabeth's at one point when she grew tired I guess of torturing one of the younger girls Elizabeth told her servant Maudley to dress up like a young girl and pretend to be one of the young virgin girls that Elizabeth was used to harassing and torturing she's like hey Maudley dress up as a virgin well uh Maudley was kind of like um okay and after Elizabeth told her this, Maudley answered with, quote, But certainly, my dear high lady, I cannot be a girl, since I already have a husband and my son, Farring, end quote. Well, as you can imagine, Maudley telling Elizabeth no completely set her off, and she went into an absolute rage. She told her servants to go outside and bring back in a log. She gave the log to Maudley and commanded Maudley to put diapers on the log and carry it around and treat the log like her child. Yeah. She yelled at Maudley, quote, Suckle your child, you whore. Don't let it cry, end quote. The type of psychological punishment and just weirdness that that is, I can't even, can't even go into it. It's just so cruel and bizarre. She would wake Maudley up in the middle of the night even and yell at her to suckle her quote-unquote baby, aka the wooden log. And in addition to the psychological torture, she would physically torture her as well. And she continued to do so relentlessly until one day Maudley just dropped dead. A woman that she had once liked or at least once tolerated Elizabeth turned on in an instant as soon as she didn't do what she wanted and killed her. 
Elizabeth experienced another loss in her family in addition to Ferenc. She experienced the loss of her brother, Esteban Bautry. He died. She was heartbroken at this, and she began the journey to her family castle of Exed to go to the funeral. Now, during the ride to the funeral in the carriage, this is according to many witnesses, something set her off during that carriage ride, and she just snapped. Another one of those seeing red rage-induced moments. She started viciously attacking the handmaidens riding in the carriage with her. And during that ride to the castle, three, three of the handmaids died from the attacks and the torture she put them through on this carriage ride. As they died, she would one by one bury them alongside the road in a thin or a thin grave and a shallow grave on the way to the funeral. Now the fourth handmaiden, she survived the journey to the Exed Castle, but she died later after they arrived, and that fourth handmaiden's body was buried on the family grounds at the castle in Exed. Now, this girl was a young noble girl who was working for Elizabeth. After the funeral of her brother, after visiting for a while with family, Elizabeth starts the journey back to her castle. According to later testimony from a man named Petrus, who was the coachman, he said that Elizabeth tortured a young girl the entire way back, a noble girl, and that girl was also buried along the way. So that's five girls that died on this carriage ride to her castle and back. Other forms of torture that Elizabeth would use often would be to withhold water and food and starve the girls. When the girls would beg her for water, this is really gross, she would hand them a cup tell them to place it under them and catch the flow of their urine and that would be all they would be allowed to drink just absolutely awful elizabeth was getting older at this time and and she confined herself more often to her room due to her age and also due to her depression but this didn't slow her down if she couldn't hurt these girls she had her older servants bring the younger girls to her bedroom and either torture them for her or she would viciously attack them there from her bed. Like while she's laying in bed, she is torturing them. Doing literally anything you can imagine to them until they drop dead from exhaustion or else die from the shock and the pain. Now, Esteban Maguire, the local pastor of the village, was the one who they would call when there was a dead body. He was the one who gathered the body and placed the bodies in the coffin. Now, he had been receiving, I'm sure you can imagine, a lot of calls of dead girls in the castle. And he'd been sent caskets to them. He'd been sending caskets to them often. Now, one day, the servants of Elizabeth delivered a casket to him from the castle. Now, the casket was already sealed, which he thought was strange. Normally, he was the one who put the girls in the caskets, and normally he was the one who would seal the caskets. Well, the caskets were already strange, or the caskets were already sealed. Weird, right? But not just that was weird to him. The casket was also heavier than usual, and it was a lot bigger of a casket than he was used to receiving. Now, this pastor heard rumors from the villagers that there were three bodies in that casket. The bodies of three young girls had been nailed in there. So he went to the castle to inquire about this directly to Elizabeth and to ask her how many bodies were actually in there and how they died. Elizabeth told him two bodies were in there, so she told them at least they were two she said that one had already died and one was near dying so they waited until that second girl died to bury her in it you know to be frugal <laughs> elizabeth even murdered girls on the way to the coronation of king matthias of hungary which 
I mean, <laughs> I, I guess she's going to murder girls, five girls, on her way to her brother's funeral. It makes sense that she would murder girls on the way to the coronation. It's just terrible. And I'm not laughing at all. I'm, like, horrified by this, but I'm just using that to cope, just so you know. One instance of torture that was found in court records told of a 12-year-old girl who had tried to escape the castle one night, only to be caught by some of Elizabeth's accomplices and brought back kicking and screaming. Elizabeth ordered her to go into a tiny, tight ball sort of thing. It was small, so the girl couldn't sit in it, and she couldn't lie down in it. It wasn't big enough for that. The ball was hoisted into the air with chains on a pulley, and as it was hoisted up, spikes protruded into the ball obviously stabbing the girl now the accomplices would swing the ball with the pulley from side to side and the girl was then torn apart by the spikes and killed there are many many legends and stories about elizabeth that have to do with blood she was called the bloody countess after all one of the legends one of the most popular ones is that she bathed in a bathtub uh, with the blood of the young virgins, believing that the blood would make her young again, basically that it was her fountain of youth. While this is possible, I mean, everything's possible, but while this is possible, it's highly unlikely that this happened. And let me tell you why real quick. There's a few reasons. The first reason is it would take way too many people to fill a bathtub. I looked up about how many people's blood it would take to fill a tub. And yes, <laughs> it felt really weird looking that up. And I was even more turned off when I saw, like, that had been searched so many times before, like, a lot. And I found a thread of people just talking about how much blood it would take to fill the bathtub and while grossed out and weirded out by it. At the same time, I was like, oh, yes, this is exactly what I need. Anyways, to briefly go into what I found, a standard bathtub can hold about 80 gallons of water. Now, the average adult, weighing anywhere from 150 pounds to 180 pounds, can have up to 1.2 to 1.5 gallons of blood in their body. Let's just say 1.5, because remember, these girls were younger. Uh, they wouldn't have been that heavy. So one girl, for sake of this thought process, let's say, had 1.5 gallons of blood in her body. Well, to fill an entire 80-gallon bathtub, over 53 girls would need to be completely drained of their blood to fill an 80-gallon bathtub. In essence, the, Elizabeth would basically be needing to be torturing them over the bathtub and just kind of like draining them of their blood. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, she did kill that amount, well over that amount, actually. But it was over a period of years, not always in the same place. Also, one thing to consider is blood viscosity is something, you know, we need to consider, of course. The viscosity of blood is higher than the viscosity of water. You know the expression, blood is thicker than water? Yeah, that's actually true in a literal sense. Now, another reason I don't think she actually did this, we need to look at what happens when blood is outside of the body. When blood is exposed to air, it clots. Now, the reason it doesn't clot inside your body, it's because your liver creates a substance called heparin, and this keeps your body from clotting in itself internally. But when the blood is outside of the body, obviously you don't have the heparin in there and it can clot. Now, 80 gallons of blood in a stagnant bathtub exposed to the air will clot. <laughs> and that just sounds disgusting and not something I want to climb in and soak around in for a bit. I just really can't foresee this countess doing that. And that's coming from, like, an avid bath taker. Like, I love my bath. I love me my jets. Give me, But, like, I don't want a blood bath. And I just feel like, I don't know, maybe this noble wouldn't have liked that either. 
So all in all, could she have done this? Sure, it could have been done. Do we have any proof that she did this? No, it's just legend. Do I think she did this? Personally, I think no. Now, she was obsessed with blood. She was obsessed with this idea that the blood, especially from virgins, because everyone was obsessed with virgins back then, the blood of virgins would make her young. So what I think is perhaps she bottled the blood that from these girls and applied it to her body or took some of the blood from them and brushed it on her body. Now, there was, at some point, there was so much blood from torturing these girls in the castle that at one point, the blood literally had, could be scooped up with a bucket. And I can see her saving this and using it as, as some, like, twisted form of skin lotion. Um, so I can see her doing that, at least. But did she bathe in a bathtub of blood? I mean, according to that legend, we'll never know. We'll just never know. When Elizabeth ran out of servant girls in her castle, she would go to her villages or send people to her village to procure girls for her to work as servants and so she could torture them. Now, the villages were very poor and the villagers saw this as a way to give their daughters an opportunity to work for an important noble in the castle, maybe perhaps have a better life than they had. But sadly, they were very wrong. When Elizabeth would take their girls to the castle with her slowly, one by one, she would methodically torture and kill them, disposing of the girls' bodies all around the castle, buried on the grounds, or else sending them to that village pastor to be buried, trying to burn them. She had tried to burn the bodies in some of the fireplaces in the castle. Bones were found there. So she had tried to get rid of the bodies in any way that she could. Now, word of what Elizabeth was doing to these young girls quickly started to go around the village, and people started becoming more and more apprehensive about sending their daughters to go work for the Countess. Rumors had started going around that the Countess was torturing and killing them, so obviously, you're going to think twice about it. One of the girls that she had killed family came to her, and this is the family of the young noble girl that she killed while she was at her family castle in Exhead. And this family asked her, you know, where is our daughter? She told them that the girl died of cholera. Now, Elizabeth would say that the girls were dying of cholera. That was like her excuse for basically every one of the girls' deaths. Now, what is cholera? Cholera is an infectious disease of the small intestine that normally, especially at this time, was contracted from the water that they would drink. The symptoms that would present include diarrhea and severe vomiting. When eventually she started having trouble getting the villages to send or surrender their daughters to her, Elizabeth made a mistake. She made a mistake that would finally lead to her downfall. She started going for noble girls instead of village girls. Now, no one cared or seemed to bat an eye, sadly, when the poor lower class girls went missing and died. But when it started happening to noble girls, well, that was unacceptable. That, was, that caught everyone's attention. Elizabeth needed a way to lure the noble girls, the girls of higher class, to her. So she decided to open a gynostemium. Now, I'm not sure. Gynostemium. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right. Like, I guarantee you I'm not. But basically, this was supposed to be like a finishing school for women. Now, this attracted noble girls left and right because, remember, she's a countess. She's very important. And it was a good opportunity, these girls thought, to be able to be under her and receive training and classes from her. It was thought to be an excellent opportunity. However, that didn't stop the rumors. And when noble girls started going missing and had suddenly, heavy air quotes, started dying from cholera, the family knew something was up. 
the family of the noble girls went to King Matthias of Hungary and told him of their suspicions. An advisor was sent to Elizabeth's village and castle to do some investigating and hopefully provide some kind of evidence and answer for King Matthias. Now, this advisor was Jorge Torzo. Now, remember, if you remember back from earlier, this is the same man that was assigned by Ferenc to take care of Elizabeth and her children, a distant cousin of Elizabeth, very well known. Well, now, when Jorge would question her about what happened, she started telling him about the cholera and how it had been taking out all these girls so suddenly. Then she started making up a story and she decided to put the blame elsewhere. She told him that one of the noble girls in her finishing class got jealous and just murdered everyone. But then she realized that he wasn't buying it and he needed to start getting some things ready because the do- she needed to start getting things ready because the doors were finally closing in around her. In the year 1610, Elizabeth made up her will and left everything, including her lands and estate, to be divided up by her three remaining children, Anna, Catalan, and Paul. She gave them everything and only kept her wedding dress and she said that that's what she wanted to be buried in. Fall of 1610, Jorge Torzo went to the village to start talking to people in the village just to get some answers, kind of get some information about Elizabeth to get people to talk and spill what they knew. Witnesses started coming forward at this time to him, not just a few witnesses, but over 300 people came forward to tell him about their suspicions and what they knew. The village had had enough. They weren't going to cower in fear anymore and let Elizabeth pick them off one by one. They were ready to stand up to her. They weren't forced to. They came forward. The witnesses made up of priests, nobles, castle staff came forward, as well as villagers. They all reiterated to Jorge that torture was the main focus of Elizabeth. It had nothing to do with punishments. It was torture purely for her enjoyment. At this time, bodies also started being discovered. There's also a story where Jorge Torzo went into the castle and literally stumbled over some bones. So bodies are being discovered left them right, and there were a lot of them. Young girls' bodies were found around the castle, rooms of the castle, the fireplaces, in local cemeteries, in the villages, and they had all been working for or had been associated with Countess Elizabeth Bowtree. All fingers were being pointed at her, as well as fingers being pointed at some accomplices. There were people in the villages who acted as her wingman or spies that she referred to her as her girl catchers. And these people would send girls to the castle or somehow convince the girls to go to the castle to work for the countess, and they knew exactly what was going to be happening to them. They didn't just convince them to go there for work. Sometimes there would be instances where they would kidnap girls and send them to the castle to be tortured. Whether they did this for monetary benefit or did it because, uh, you know, out of fear for what the countess would do to them, who knows. There's one woman, Anna de Vulio. She was a practicing witch and one of Elizabeth's right-hand servants' friends. I hesitate using that word. I don't think Elizabeth had any friends. But one woman who Elizabeth counted on. No, Anna would actively help with torturing the girls. She was her right-hand man, like she, the right-handed person who helped her. She was always right there, either participating in tortures or else standing right beside her watching, not protesting at all. All this evidence was brought forth, and it was decided by King Matthias that she needed to go to trial. Anna de Vulio was convinced to testify against the Countess. She was there during some of the tortures. She even participated you know, she even 
did some of the torture for Elizabeth when Elizabeth had been confined to her bed. Now, Anna's testimony was huge for the trial, but unfortunately, before this trial could happen, Anna died of cancer. So that was a huge blow because her testimony was very important. January 1610, the evidence was presented at trial against the accomplices and against the girl catchers that worked for Elizabeth Bowtree. After the trial, they were convicted of the murder of at least 80 girls, and all of the accomplices were eventually executed for their part in the crimes. During the trial for Elizabeth, one of the girls said that she found Elizabeth Bowtree's diary in her room, and when she opened it, she saw a list of names. Now, this girl had access to this room because it was one of her privileges to have access to her room because she took care of the countess. Well, in a testimony, this girl said that the names belonging to the girls that she killed, the number of names that were found, that was most shocking and that's what stood out the most to her. Because there were over 650 names written in that journal. This was shocking to the court uh, because, duh, that's a lot of people. And the court only thought that she had killed 80 women. So now the accomplices were taken care of, but this is the thing that's, like, annoying. Elizabeth never went to trial. Why, you ask? Well, she's rich. She's a noble of noble birth, and it was illegal, actually, there at that time to try someone like that in a public trial without an act of parliament. Now, Jorge Thorzo told King Matthias that they needed to avoid a trial to not discredit the Bautry family and Adadsti family, and also to not discredit all royals, even the crown. So he's really pushing for no trial. Jorge's like, no, we, we should not do this, King Matthias. Now, I have to question why Jorge pushed for no trial. Could he be pushing for it because he gave that promise to Ferenc to watch, af- watch out for her? Well, maybe. I mean, it's possible. But maybe he he tried for no trial because he wanted to save his own skin. Because think about it. If Elizabeth had allowed to be tried, this would open the door for more royals to be tried in court. And that simply wouldn't do at the time. Imagine all the royals who would be in so much hot water and have to pay actually pay for their crimes that they might have done. So Hiorhi Thorza was like, let's just avoid a trial. In the end, it'll be better for everyone. In reality, just better for the royals and a way for them to save their own skin, but you know, privilege. King Matthias made a deal with the Bautry family and Adadsti family. He had a debt that he had to pay Elizabeth that he had borrowed in the past. He had a lot of money that he had borrowed from her. And it was decided that his debt would be forgiven in exchange to not kill or put Elizabeth to trial. Instead, they decided to hand down a very specific punishment to Elizabeth. Jorge Thorzo said to Elizabeth before she was punished, quote, You, Elizabeth, are like a wild animal. You do not deserve to breathe the air on earth or see the light of the Lord. You shall disappear from the world and never reappear in it again. End quote. Elizabeth would be banished to her castle, to her bedroom, and that was to remain locked. Every door, every window was bricked shut, and the outside world was completely closed out to her. The only entry point into her room after she was sealed in there was a little hole or a slot at the door, like underneath the door, that the food was slid into. Now, some think that this was a way for Hjorhi to keep his promise to Ferenc by taking care of her. He wasn't submitting her to a public execution that would have caused the family embarrassment and subjected the kids to the brutality of it. Instead, he allowed for her to live out her days in her castle in her bedroom alone. There, Elizabeth Bowtree remained, 
isolated, alone in her depression. Remember, she hates being alone. She stayed there for four years, and she died on August 14, 1614. I feel like we would know a lot more about her if we could only access some more historical records. I mean, we know a lot, but there's a lot we don't know. Most of the work that we know come from her biographies, excuse me, or letters, articles, stuff like that that had been translated from Hungarian. But we have a lot of works from then that have not been translated yet. We have a lot of information, but there are more records there. But like I said, they're just not translated yet. So maybe someday all of those records will be translated and we can find out even more about this countess. Elizabeth Bowtree was a woman ruler. She was educated, rich, and important something that was very off-putting to the royals around her, who were all men. She was one of the first women to rule ever. Her husband, Ferenc, had loaned the Hungarian crown lots of money, and the crown was indebted to the family. And the crown hadn't paid the debt back yet, and at the time that Ferenc died, Elizabeth was demanding that they pay it back. Now, King Matthias had a lot to gain by getting rid of her and removing her from a seat of power. I'm not saying that that means her entire story was fabricated because it wasn't. There's just too many witnesses, too many stories, too many bodies that showed up that say it was not fabricated. However, for us listening, it just puts it into more perspective as to why King Matthias did what he did and what he had to gain by unseating this powerful woman. His debt was forgiven to her and her lands were surrendered to the crown. Now, that is the end of Elizabeth Bowtree's case. It was crazy. It was long. It was brutal. But it happened. It's history. There are records, witness statements, bodies. Everything that happened, happened. Most importantly, it's important for us to remember the lives of the girls that were lost and the families who lost their loved ones. That happened. I feel like when people try to say that it was all made up or over-exaggerated, that were then throwing the girls who were murdered and kidnapped and murdered and tortured to death, were throwing them under the bus, it feels like, and not showing them the level of importance or respect that they deserve. Their lives mattered, and it was horribly snuffed out in the worst way possible. Now, thank you guys for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another exciting case, and next month I'll even throw in another historical case. Obviously, this is a bigger one. Elizabeth Bowtree is a very famous case, and I wanted to get this big historical one out of the way right away. If you have any case suggestions or comments, please send them to my email at IamAddictedToCrime at gmail.com. Now, I wanted to share a couple things with you quick. Spotify now has a rating system open, which is awesome. So if you listened and you love the show, please go rate and review on Spotify, as well as rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. If you want to join the Patreon and receive bonus episodes as well as gifts, please do. I mentioned this in the last episode, the Fall River episode. If you haven't listened, go listen to that. But I mentioned here, there already, and I'm going to mention here, the next three listeners to join the Patreon are going to be receiving one free t-shirt from me. It's a very special incentive. So if you haven't already, you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, go ahead, join the Patreon. You can join at any tier to be eligible the first three people to join get a t-shirt. Maybe the next couple people that join after that can get something else. I'm not going to say. I have a real special goal to reach this year and I would appreciate your help in reaching this goal. But do it soon because three people isn't a lot and it's going to go fast. 
that's all that I have for you today. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your support. Stay safe.